afternoon. It's close to, yeah, it is, 145. So turn in your hymns of grace, hymnals, to number 413. I don't think we have sang this together before, so I'll have Martha play it through in completion one time, and then, then we will stand and sing. 413, hymns of grace. standing for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you again with praise and thanksgiving for your great goodness to us, your awesome goodness to us, rejoicing and thanking you for the blessings of our salvation by your grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that this hour as we search the scriptures, that we will be taught by the Holy Spirit, and that you will use your word to conform us to the image of our Lord, and that your word will be effective in drawing your people to um, a 
a deeper uh, walk with you and that you'll use it to bring any who are outside of Christ into faith and repentance this day. Lord, we pray that uh, our worship this hour will be pleasing to you, that we will honor you and glorify you by our singing, by the words, that uh, the word of God that is read, and uh, by the prayers of your saints. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, I'll be reading from two different passages of Scripture before uh, Brother Cliff comes, and they're related to uh, the conclusion of Ecclesiastes when he comes to read that. The first passage is 1 Kings chapter 4. So if you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, and it's beginning at verse 29. And this is uh, speaking of the wisdom of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, and I'll be reading through verse 34. Hear now the word of the living and true God. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, Kalkal and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of, of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And the second passage is from Romans chapter 8, that familiar passage. Uh, we won't be reading all of it, but... We'll be beginning at verse 18 and down through verse 25. So Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, before we look at Ecclesiastes, turn to the one hymn in the Trinity with a scripture reference to Ecclesiastes, uh, 726, 726. 
One day the silver cord will break. Comes right out of Ecclesiastes 12. Be seated. I think I better remove this. So we've come to the conclusion of the matter. All has been heard. And so Solomon's going to offer us two things for us to remember. Very simple to remember for us to do. We're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 12. Uh, verses 8 through 14, which is the end, of course. I think uh, my approach will be to just read it through, and then we'll circle back and make a few comments as we go. And hopefully I will be finished before your attention span is finished. (laughs) I mean, it's the Word of God, right? So... uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8. 
Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and words of truth written uprightly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But in addition to this, my son, be warned, the making of many books is endless, and much devotion to books is wearying to the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this is These are supplied words, the end of all the matter for all mankind in the LSB. I prefer just using the King James and taking out uh, the supplied words. This is the end of man. This is all of man. For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Please join me in prayer as we uh, wrap this up. Father, Thank you for your word. It's the word written, and we uh, glory in in your amazing uh, providence, your amazing uh, wisdom, and and dealings with men to bring uh, to us Gentiles, of all things, who were without God, without hope uh, in the world, and now we have been invited into your very family, adopted even into your very family and are partakers of the root and the fatness of Israel. And so we thank you uh, for this uh, joyous and glorious uh, privilege to open your word and see the very, though in a different language, the very words that our Savior would have learned Uh, as a boy in the scriptures of the Old Covenant. Thank you. Open our hearts, open our eyes, and give us grace to do your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Solomon is closing the book with the same words with which he opened the book um, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Vanity of vanities, I, the preacher, Koheleth is uh, the Hebrew word, uh, was king over Israel, was son of David, king in Israel. And then he gives us a little more detail on that um, in verse 13. He says he is king over Israel. And he said he sets himself a task in uh, chapter 1 there. And Excuse me, I apologize for making you wait a second here. I didn't have it opened that I wanted. He sets himself a task in verse 13, and that task was to give his heart to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. He wants to answer uh, life's biggest questions. Uh, What is the best way to take advantage of the, the time here. We've, we read Romans 8, and the reason I had us uh, read that was because 
It answers a question that is not answered here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember, I've said several times there's some holes. It's not complete here. And the passage in Romans answers the great question, why? Why is life full of vanity? Why is it so vexing? It seems like we go from the rain and the clouds follow the rain, one thing after another. And so and that's where we get jokes about it, Murphy's Law and all that. But that's very true. It's very biblical. That's the way life is. It's just frustrating. And so Romans answers that great why. And we won't go into, the obviously, the exposition of Romans 8, uh, 18 to 25. But he says God subjects us to that so that we will not find our all in this life. And so we will look beyond. And so it's a, it's a chastisement, if you will, of man. And God is teaching men uh, not to put their trust in these uncertain things that we have to deal with day by day. And then in, in verses 9 and 10, he once again, uh, we're reminded of things that he talked about in the early chapters at the beginning, he tells us again who he is and what his qualifications are. He's the preacher, Koheleth, which means uh, a speaker of an assembly. It could mean, uh, I think uh, the LSB actually translates it, that he's a, uh, I lost my place, the one who gathers the assembly. So uh, that's who he is, son of David, king in Jerusalem, and then specifically, verse 12, king over Israel. And as I've already said, he gave his heart, he gave himself a task, and he completes the task. And that's what we uh, come to today, his, his great conclusion. He gave his heart to know wisdom, verse 17. He became the greatest of all who were before him. He says in verse chapter 2, uh, verse 9, that what can the man do who comes after me? I have done it all. And he describes that in, in great detail. Uh, all the things uh, that he did are outlined for us in the beginning of, well, throughout uh, chapter 2, the enjoyments of physical things and the enjoyments of intellectual things. And so he had it all. He was... He was the whole deal. And so that's why I had uh, Cliff read uh, Solomon's bio, if you will, from 1 Corinthians 4. And this just underscores uh, the great work that he did and, and how, it, uh, how it results. And he finds, and who doesn't find the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes to be full of delightful words? There, there are things that are very practical, and but they're written in a way that is delightful. Verse 10 of, of our text, chapter 12, and words of truth, and that's the important thing, isn't it, uh, to answer um, Pilate's question, uh, what is truth? Well, it's the word of God. I can't give you uh, one verse out of Proverbs, but the collected sayings, our truth that you can build your life upon, of course. And 
What I really want to underscore is that they're written. What a wonderful what wonderful wisdom God has in, in having it written for us. Even with all the, you think about all the struggles that, and, and, and work and mistakes that go on in, in translation and lost manuscripts, found manuscripts, and, and all that that goes on and all this, God <laughs> oversees, of course, or provides and has brought us a, a, a pretty good uh, compilation and translation of his truth written, written uprightly. Then he gives us a description of these words and what, what their effect is, what they're like, and they're like goads. I don't know uh, if we have any non-farmers. We're pretty familiar with that word probably. It's a it's an instrument that uh, farmers would use to prod an animal to get them to do what they're supposed to do, to go where they're supposed to go, to not kick somebody whom they're not supposed to uh, kick. So it's an instrument to prod cattle. And God's word is like that. Keep in mind again. I think this is just another portion of this book that shows that this is for the unconverted man. Because for the Christian, what's the difference? Yeah, he needs goaded sometimes. I do anyway. But he now has a new heart. He doesn't, uh, the word isn't always a goad to him. Sometimes it is, but not always. And then in the middle of the verse, there's two ways in our translations that we have. I don't know if you uh, noticed it. If you're not reading uh, the LSB that I was reading from, he says the words of the wise are like goes. That's one thing. And then he says in the LSB, the masters of collection are like well-driven nails or masters of assemblies are like well-driven nails. But in other interpretations, it says the words of the wise are like goads and like nails driven. So maybe I'm making too big of a point out of it, but either way, whether it's the words that are like the nails or whether it's the masters of the collections, which are like well-driven nails, I like both pictures. They're both wonderful, and they're both true. They're given from one shepherd. What an interesting way to... uh, speak of God for Solomon at this point. Doesn't it sound almost funny, (laughs) out of place? I would almost say to Solomon, here's something that I could say, see, this is new that he talked about in in chapter 1. Show me something new. Well, his reference to God as shepherd was something new, I, I believe, in this book. And I have to wonder, was he possibly referring to one of his dad's psalms, Psalm 23, right? Lord is my shepherd. But that's just a that just one phrase which would have to be uh, expanded out based on New Testament truth. So we 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 can't park on one word, but that 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 would be a one word. Uh, Probably a series of sermons. But now, uh, verse 13. Now we arrive. 
is the end of the matter. All has been heard, and here it is, summed up. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is all of man. <clears throat> the word is Adam, by the way, there. So the Hebrew word Yahweh simply means to be afraid. Adam in the garden was afraid. When God came after they had sinned, he was afraid. And God asked him why. He said, because I am naked. And all things are naked and open before God. So our nakedness is like a, a, a metaphor of our relationship with God. Everything in our mind is naked before God. And it's not before one another. It's unseen. That part of us is unseen. So the, the picture of what is seen and the shame and embarrassment that Adam felt was a great metaphor of us, in man in sin, uh, before God. God sees all. What Jesus said, <clears throat> that you, he reiterates this really, uh, of fear God. He said, uh, do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill those kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Be afraid. Be afraid. And, and this is synonymous with fear, keep his commandments. And again, we, we, we go or I'm going to go to our Savior's words when the man came to him in Matthew uh, 19, about verse 16. He said, Master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus respond? Right out of Ecclesiastes. If you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. And then he says, which? And these are the which that he lists off to him. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple, aren't they? These are the commandments that you have to keep. That's what Solomon is talking about. The, the law of Moses was very well, very, very well known. In Israel at this time. So when he says fear God and keep the commandments, they knew what he meant. We might also add, <clears throat> knowing the story of this man, the other commandment not mentioned here, inferred in Christ's response was you shall not covet. Because when asked to give up his possessions, he went away sad because he had a lot of them. So those are the commandments in view here. But I want to, again, uh, I think this is another proof. I don't know if I want to call it a proof, but it, it mitigates <laughs> toward my uh, view that this is written for the unconverted. Because what is missing here is, I've already uh, touched on it, is that we can't do it. We cannot keep the commandments of God. The natural man I'm talking about. 
Until you have been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, and therefore you cannot do what is pleasing to God. And um, we don't really need to go to the New Covenant to show this. If you'd like to, I'll go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 5, 22 to 29. 22 is the verse that immediately follows the giving of the Ten Commandments, the commandments that I just uh, listed the last six of to you. And he says, these words, Yahweh spake unto your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone, wrote them, underscore, two tables of stone, and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass, when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near to me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, Yahweh our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire, and we have seen this day that God does talk with man and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of Yahweh our God any more, we will die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and lived? You go near, Moses, and hear the word of Yahweh our God, what he shall say. And speak thou unto us all that Yahweh our God shall speak to you. And, listen, he, we will do it. We will hear it and do it. And now listen to Yahweh's response. And Yahweh heard the voice of your words when you spoke unto me. And Yahweh said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto you. They have well said all that they have spoken. So far, so good. Verse 29. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. That's what they didn't have. They didn't have the heart. Their spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, so to speak. Here, they spoke well. He said, they have, I like what they're saying. You know, Moses, you get the word, you tell us, we'll hear it, and we'll do it. Simple, but oh, that there were such a heart in them. And then just quickly uh, to buttress uh, this point, uh, Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 4. In verse 2, we get the context. Moses has called all Israel, and he said to them, You have seen what the Lord Yahweh did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and unto all his land, the great temptations which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. I mean, just think of all that these people had seen. But here's the problem. 
Verse 4, yet Yahweh has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. Here is man's great problem. His heart is averse to God because of the fall. He he does not uh, want God. We see an example of this in the book of John, chapter 3, of the Jews not uh, understanding this. The Jews not having yet been given a heart to fear God and keep his commandments. The example I'm thinking of is Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night and said, Oh, Master, we know that you must be from God because no one can do these things that you're doing unless God were with him. And Jesus doesn't even uh, bat an eye or talk about what he came to talk about. He says, you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he explains uh, what the new birth is and how it works. And we'll, yeah, I think we'll touch on it a little bit. It doesn't look like I've lost you yet. But <laughs> One thing that's puzzled me, for, or did puzzle me for many years, when Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus said, you're a master in Israel and you don't know these things? And I'm racking my brain. How would he know? <laughs> when I, I, apparently I hadn't read the Old Testament enough and I hadn't heard enough sermons. But... Uh, I heard a sermon by uh, Gordon Cook, and it wasn't original with him by any means. It's probably something that's so obvious you'll probably laugh at me for not having realized it until a few years ago, probably. Ezekiel 36. Turn there. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. It hit me in the side of the head like a ton of bricks. This is so clearly parallel with what Jesus says in John 3. Uh, Yes, Nicodemus, you've read this. How many times have you read this? You should know uh, this. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. There it is. Born again. Jesus, the way he puts it is, we must be born of the water, which we had right here in Ezekiel. I will, I will, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you must be born of the spirit. The inner man. We must have a new heart. He uh, pictures it in Ezekiel as a stone heart, natural man, versus a fleshly heart, the new man. And so, as a natural man, his heart physically might be soft, but spiritually, it's a rock in his chest that has no contact with heaven the kingdom of heaven. And so that's just a a plain, (laughs) clear 
an example of a scripture, and there are others, that show that Nicodemus should have known that we must uh, be born again. We must have a new heart. So, just as... <clears throat> well, i gotta, I got to skip over that. We're going to go on to verse uh, 14. Because now he, he tells us what to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. But now he's going to tell us why we should keep his commandments in verse 14. For God will bring every work to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God has, as Paul said on Mars Hill at the end of his sermon, when he talked about the uh, resurrection, he said, before that, he says, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. And that's what even, uh, that is the proof to men that God is going to judge the world through Jesus Christ is his resurrection uh, from the dead. And I just thought <clears throat> that when uh, Mark read 2 Corinthians 5.10, turn over there again real quick. 2 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> verse 10, about jumped out of my seat, because... I wonder if Paul was actually quoting Ecclesiastes 12.14. Look at the similarity of the phraseology in this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's the reason. There's your motive. Uh, the uh, Again, Another, another proof text that this is for the unconverted man. This is the best motive that he can come up with. You know, think of what Mark shared this morning about the love of Christ uh, motivating the Christians. Think how different that is. It's almost, uh, it's not contradictory, but it just shows that this is a great book as an apologetic and good advice for unconverted people, because God hasn't converted everyone yet, and that he's going to convert yet, and so they need to know how to live, and uh, we would have a much better society if they did <laughs> follow that. So there you have the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, because judgment's coming. In closing, I'm going to indulge one of my favorite hymns, 339, a great parting hymn, a great hymn of uh, worship, almost a doxology. I want you to notice especially uh, verse 3, which I think is the most, uh, the best I have seen address to the Trinity in, in accordance with the regulative principle. That's uh, all I'll say. 339 in the Trinity.